If you have your Bibles with you tonight, open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to continue uh, our ongoing journey through the book as we go through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. As we consider uh, chapter 17, one of the cool things, we're, we're coming to the end of the preparation of the children of Israel. Remember I told you when they left Egypt, they're going on the Exodus. It's an 11-day journey. But the Lord said, look, I'm not going to take you that 11-day journey because you're out of Egypt, but Egypt's not out of you yet. And so he takes a year to do an 11-day journey to help the people understand, grow, learn what it is to, to really walk with the Lord. You and I, we're on the same journey, right? I mean, wouldn't we think it would be easier for the Lord just to reach down to heaven and, and touch us with his finger and make us the way we ought to be? But the Lord puts us on a path. He gives us a, a road to walk in our relationship with Him. And He does it so that we'll learn the same lessons that they learned as the children of Israel. So that we'll grow, so that we'll develop. So that the character that God's looking to build out of us is going to come with one goal in mind. What's, what's the Lord's one goal? That you and I, that we're going to get home safe. That we're going to one day stand before our Savior and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So that's God's motivation as he moves through. Well, as we've been looking at the children of Israel and watching them, we saw them first go to Sukkoth. Remember Sukkoth, first town, tent town. The Lord teaching the the children of Israel, hey, nothing on this planet is ever going to satisfy Get used to, to looking for something that's permanent. And nothing here is permanent. We're in one state or another of saying goodbye all the time. I look so forward to the day when that will not be the case anymore. When there will never be a goodbye again. And so the Lord is telling the people in Sukkot, tent town, it's not permanent, it's temporary. Look for uh, your future home. Abraham The Bible tells us, look for a city whose maker and builder was God, that had foundations, that couldn't be shook, that wouldn't fall down, that couldn't be turned around. So at Sukkoth, first place they went, they learned that this world, we're just passing through and looking forward uh, to the next one as the Lord returns. He also, after that, took them to Etham. Now, Etham means with them. With them. It was in Etham when they get that first sight of the pillar of fire and the cloud. God showing them right on the brink of the wilderness, wherever you go, I'm with you. Now, the cool thing is, folks, God was with them through this one-year journey. He's with them through this journey all the way to the time He takes them to Kadesh Barnea. And when they fail to enter in to the promised land, God's with them for the 40 years after that. He never left their side. He was with them. And he wants us in our journey to realize that, right? When we go through, as the psalmist said, the valley of the shadow of death, what? We fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. If you look at Psalm 23, you'll notice at that moment, the the personal pronouns, they, they change. They become personal pronouns. No longer he, it's you. As the psalmist recognized, almost as he's looking at his Savior's face as he's writing out that text. Because in that place, in Etham, right on the edge, on the brink of disaster, what have you, we learn God is with us. No matter what, he's not leaving. 
He's right there beside us. After Etham, they went to Pihahiroth. Remember? Between Pihahiroth and Migdol, between a rock and a hard place. Red Sea at their back. The Lord led them between a rock and a hard place to show Himself mighty to the Egyptians. Sometimes in our lives, we get, find ourselves between a rock and a hard place. We find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation. And sometimes we think it's God punishing us for something. Or we think that God's trying to do something in our life. But folks, we have to realize, just like what we saw with the children of Israel, the Lord brought them there to show Himself mighty to the Egyptians. Sometimes we're a witness by the things we go through to our neighbors, friends, and family. And we need to learn that. We need to learn to start to see our circumstances with God's vision, that we would realize and recognize that God is always accomplishing something. Sometimes we can't easily see what it is. But nonetheless, God is still working and moving. So Pihahiroth, the Red Sea parted and the children of Israel were delivered. Next he brought them to Marah. You remember Marah? Marah means bitter. He brought them to that bitter pool of water, that place of bitterness, to teach the people how to deal with that. How did they deal with the bitterness in the water? They went and got a tree, and they threw that tree into the water, and the water was made sweet. What is God showing us? That He's showing us in the light of the cross, we can overcome bitterness. We can overcome the bitterness that we're struggling with, the things that we're facing, because in light of the cross... Man, it, it, it all just crumbles away. Maybe we're bitter about something. We think we're going through a hard time. The Bible says, consider Jesus. Consider Him. Consider our high priest, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, that He might sit down at the right hand of the Father. The point is, in light of the cross, we can wash that bitterness away. We can let that stuff go. And the Lord wanted the children to learn to let their bitterness go. And Mara, after Mara, he took them to Elam. Elam means mighty ones. You remember in Elam, there were 70 big palm trees and 12 wells of water. And they discovered in that place that they found rest and peace in service as they served. And so the Lord taught them, hey, there's refreshment in service as you can be a well for others. And then after Elam they came to the wilderness of sin. Last week in the wilderness of sin the children of Israel were hungry. And God gave them what? Bread from heaven. Manna is what they called it which means what's it? It's a derogatory term in terms of the manna. God always called it the same thing. Bread from heaven. Jesus would say in John chapter 6, right? Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. But I give you the true bread of life. Who was he speaking of? Himself. Didn't Jesus say you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood? You must partake? It's not enough just to study from the outside. It's not enough to look at. It's not even enough just to worship. He must become a part of you. And so here in the wilderness of sin, the Lord is teaching them that lesson, the bread of life, the bread of life. When did they go gather it? Early in the morning, early in the morning. If they waited till noontime, it was gone. 
Early in the morning, they went out and gathered up that bread. They gathered up that bread. And they were learning to obey the Lord and to trust the Lord for their very sustenance. Folks, tonight, we stop at the last stop. The last, the seventh stop, we find ourselves in chapter 17, verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. They camped at Rephidim. Rephidim means literally rest stop. It's like they come to a rest area, but it's, it's closed. Has that ever happened to you? There have been a couple of rest stops I was afraid to stop in, to be honest with you. Between Ely and California, there's a few, let me tell you. You get out there in the, in the middle of the wilderness of sin, and they'll set a broken picnic table next to an outhouse surrounded by barbed wire with a sign in front of it that says, rest stop. I pretty much skipped those. The only time I tried to stop at one of those is when Kathy had to go to the bathroom, but she wouldn't get out of the car, so we had to keep going until we got to a gas station. Well, here for the children of Israel, they've come to a rest stop that doesn't meet up to to what they were picturing in their mind. They just ate of the bread of life. They just ate of of the word that God had for them. They're leaving the wilderness of sin, and they come to Rephidim. But there's no water at the rest stop. It promised rest, but it didn't have what they needed for rest. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? That word tempt in the Hebrew is the word nisa. It means to doubt his character. Why do you doubt the character of God? Now remember, every step along the way was something for them to learn, right? Had God not taught them that he would watch over them and keep them? Did he not teach them that he was going to meet their needs? Didn't he declare in Exodus chapter 3 that he is Yahweh? He is the becoming one. The becoming one who meets every need that we have. And so along the journey, he's been teaching them this. Yet the people, the Bible says, doubted his character. They doubted whether or not he was everything that they needed. And so when they come to this place, who do they go to to complain? Moses. Well, was Moses the one that brought him there? I mean, he was walking in front, right? But what brought him there? Big cloud, remember? The Shekinah glory of God over the people. You want to know how God guided the people in the desert? It's real simple, folks. We could do it any hot day. We're going to go wherever the shade goes. When the Shekinah glory, the cloud of God moved, and the shade moved, the people moved. And that's how God would lead his people. Moses out in front, guiding them at night. He led them by the pillar of fire. That light guiding their way. And so God led them to Rephidim. God took them to the rest stop. And God on purpose brought them to a place where there was no water. And the Lord does the same thing in our life. He'll bring us to a place of thirst. Where we thirst. What did, uh, what did Jesus say? 
Oh, how happy, blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. For what? He will be filled. He will receive what it is that he's looking for. The Lord brings the children of Israel through this place. They come to a place and a time where they're thirsty, but they complain to Moses. They're going to the wrong place. So many times we do the same thing, folks. We start to look at that person, that, that man, that woman, as though they're the one that, that somehow is going to be able to meet our need or to help us overcome a situation. But the one who's really going to meet that need is God. And we're always going to be in danger when we start making that a person. Whether it's a, a pastor, or a youth pastor, or a worship leader, it doesn't make any difference. If you start putting your eyes on man, and you start looking at the man, could Moses give him water? They could complain to Moses from now till kingdom come. No water is coming unless who gives it to him? God. It's God who brings the water. Well, the scripture goes on. The people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? But we've heard that a few times before, haven't we? The children of Israel, they get, they get a rap for complaint, don't they? And I remember when I was younger and I'd read this, I'd say, Man, what is wrong with those guys? But to be honest, if I'll back up and look at my own life, Will I see anything different? Aren't there times where God delivers? How many times has the Lord delivered us? How many times has he gotten us through a struggle or a problem? Only the next time when we face a struggle or a problem, we can do like the children of Israel. And we say, Lord, what's going on? Where'd you go? I thought you were walking with me. Why'd you lead me out here to the wilderness to to let me die of thirst? He didn't. He's helping us grow. Just like he's helping them grow. He's helping us learn about his character and who he is. So what does Moses do? Moses shows us what we ought to do. Look, Moses cried out to the Lord saying, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. Who did he cry to? The Lord. He went to the Lord. He did not gather together his elders... And complained to the elders about the people. What did he do? He went to the Lord. Because who has the answer for us? The Lord does. It's him. Who has the answer on on what treatment we should have or shouldn't have? Should we be sick? Who has the answer for what we should do about our financial load? woes who has the answer for what what job we should take or whether or not we should move or all those things? All those things, folks, are found in a relationship with God. God wants us to lean on Him. He's the one who gives the bread, right? He's the one who provides our sustenance. He's the one who carries us through. So Moses rightly goes to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. So he's going to go in front of the people, but he's not taking them all. All the people don't see this. But the elders... He takes the elders, some of the elders of Israel with him. And also take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you will strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight 
of the elders of Israel. Isn't that interesting how the Lord said that? I will stand on the rock. And you smite the rock and then water will will pour forth out of that rock. You remember how I shared with you that often we read the Bible with a Greek mindset, which is that prophecy is prediction fulfillment. But the Bible is written in Hebrew by Hebrew people. The New Testament written in Greek, but the Old Testament we're studying, it's all Hebrew. What's Hebrew? It's all about patterns. It's all about patterns. First Corinthians chapter 10, who's the rock? Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the rock is Jesus Christ. The rock that gave the children of Israel water is Jesus Christ. Well, if that's true, when was he smitten? At the cross. Wasn't he beaten? Wasn't, didn't he die? Well, let's think about it a little bit further. The rod that Moses had, that rod, you remember the first thing that it ever did? Became a serpent, right? You remember Genesis chapter 3, the proto-evangelicum, the first mention of the gospel? It is this, that the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bruise his heel. The rod, first thing it was, was a, was a serpent, became a serpent, became a rod. That rod, he struck the rock with. The rock being Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, was smitten, bruised, if you will, by the snake, but not broken, and out from him pours what? Torrents of living water. Well, let's consider it for a moment. As we're thinking about this picture, as we're thinking about this water flowing through, I want us to turn to Isaiah 44. And Isaiah 44, during the feasts of Israel, they would read Isaiah 44. I just want to share a little bit of it with you. Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing upon your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. It's a prophetic scripture talking about the coming of Messiah. In fact, if you turn to John chapter 7, we can see when this scripture would be written or would be read. In John chapter 7, Beginning at verse 37, Jesus had gone up to the feast. In verse 37 it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, 
Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. The torrents of living water flowing out of them is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Folks, sometimes in our life, when we come to Rephidim and we're dry and we're thirsty, we need to recognize that what we're missing, the torrents of living water that aren't pouring forth out of our life, is that fresh feeling, that fresh indwelling poured out the Holy Spirit in our life. Every one of us has experienced dryness at one time or another. Every one of us has experienced that thirst, that thirst for more, that thirst for more of Jesus, that thirst for more of that water. And so Jesus was struck, his, his body broken for us, and that water that flowed through is that gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive. What did, the, what did Jesus say? If any of you lacks, let him ask the Father. And the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. He will pour out more. The, the, Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5, Be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. All the time, daily. When we're dry, when we're in Rephidim, when we're at the rest stop but there's no water, we find that water in Him. We find that water from Him. Remember at this feast that the priests, they would go down to the pool called Siloam. Siloam means the sent one. They would go to the pool of Siloam, the seven days of the feast. They would gather water. They would come up to the southern steps of the temple and pour the water out on those steps. And each time they poured out the water, it was a symbol of what we just read in Exodus. The water given from the rock. But on the great day of the feast, the last day of the feast, rather than going down and gathering that water with silver pots, they went with gold. When they got to Siloam, which means the sent one, they didn't dip in the water. When they came back to the temple, they would pour those, those empty vases of, of water out on the, on the steps, and the priest would read Isaiah 44. And all the people would be silent. They would be silent because what he was reading was the promise of the pouring out of the Messiah, the Mashiach, the promise of Genesis chapter 3, the promise of one that would set everything right. And they would stop and pray. Lord, bring the Messiah. And the Bible says... On that day, at that moment, Jesus Christ stood up and said, If any of you thirst, come unto me, and I will give you water to drink. Well, Jesus fulfilled the picture. He fulfilled the picture, the pattern that we read all the way back in Exodus on that day in John chapter 7, proclaiming himself as a Messiah. The saddest thing about the scriptures, folks, in that section is no one came. Jesus said, if any of you thirst, come to me and I will give you. But nobody came. Nobody came to receive. Nobody came to receive for what it was 
that God was promising. We see, folks, when we read the book of Exodus, as we study chapter 17, we wonder, what's the point? Why does God tell us all these stories? He tells us these stories because these stories give us patterns. The pattern shows us the fulfillment of Jesus Christ in the people's lives. They would teach their kids over and over how God gave them water to drink out of the rock. And on the day when they're thinking about that, when they're reading about that, we see the fulfillment of that picture in Jesus Christ as he stands before them and says, Here I am. If you're thirsty, come to me. In Deuteronomy, the Lord said, Teach your children diligently. Go through the word. Teach them these stories. Why? So one day when they see it happen before their eyes, they know. They recognize The promise of Messiah. Why did Moses only bring the elders? So that the elders would go back to the people and say, Man, the Lord poured water out of a rock. Folks, you have some kind of idea we're talking about roughly two to two and a half million people. How much water is that? Okay, it's not like they filled up a Dixie cup and passed it around and that's all they had. In the middle of the desert, Rephidim is an an oasis, but there was no water there. They go to this rock at Horeb. He strikes a rock and enough water pours out of that rock to give two and a half million people enough water to drink for them and their livestock. That's no little trickle. That's an outpouring. Isn't that how God wants to work in our lives? Doesn't God want... Didn't he say, out of your... Life out of your heart, out of your being would flow torrents of living water. Torrents of living water, folks. That's the way the Holy Spirit ought to be moving through our life. That it would flow through us. I don't want to just be filled. I want to be overflowing. If you take a a pitcher of water, an empty pitcher even, and you pour water in it, that's a picture of what happens when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes within us. Prior to that, the Bible says He's alongside of us. So you look at an empty pitcher, and right next to it, a pitcher of water. That's what it's like. The Holy Spirit beside us, drawing, calling us. But when we give our life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside. Yeah? But you see, Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, the one who fills us to overflowing. So what's that like? The epi, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, is when you go get the hose out of the garden... And you put it in that pitcher, and you turn that hose on, and you just let it run. What happens? All the water that's coming out of that pitcher affects everything around it, doesn't it? That's the way it ought to be in our lives. All the water flowing out of us ought to affect everyone around us. Not that we have to be obnoxious or do anything weird. We just have to be there, right? If we're overflowing with the Spirit, I'm affecting the one next to me. He's getting a little Spirit splash. That's good. That's what we want to be. And that's what God wanted to teach them in this place. Man, you come through, I provided you the bread. The bread, that picture of the Word, that sustenance. Man, should I leave... Live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That bread from heaven. Jesus Christ is God the Word. Jesus is the bread. Then what do we find out? What does bread make us? Thirsty. I'm thirsty. (laughs) 
I want something to drink. And so I want to take that of the Holy Spirit, that water, and just pour it in and keep the Spirit flowing. That's a picture that God is painting here for the children of Israel. What's the point? What's the purpose? Well, we're going to see. You and I, in our journey of life, we don't know what's over the hill, right? We don't know what's around a bend. It was just uh, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, I was on my way here for worship practice. I had no idea that the van on the other side of the hill was going to turn in front of me. I was going to bounce off his grill, <laughs> go sprawled around in the, in the middle of the Chris Moore's lawn. <clears throat> I don't remember much after that. But did I know that that was coming? No idea. Did God know? Was God prepared for it? Sure he was. The funny thing is that just the day before, my wife and I had received some money for a vehicle we had sold before we moved up here. And the next day, I total my only wheels, my bike. And then the next day, I'm able to go buy a truck. Well, go figure. I, I, had, I didn't have those kind of plans. But God knew what was coming. And so the Lord, through the Word, He prepares us. Through the Spirit, He gets us ready for what's around the bend. What we're about to face. And folks, what we're about to face, every time we come through a time in the Word, victory, we come through an opportunity of the Spirit moving in our life, folks, we are headed for battle. We're headed for battle. And the Lord knows, and He will Prepare us for whatever we're about to face. Well, let's look what happens in verse 7. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Massah means tempted. Meribah means contention. He named the place tempted and, and contention because that's what was going on with the children of Israel in that place. Because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? But listen, folks, if we are a target of God's blessing, then you are also a target of the enemy. And you need to understand that. If you are a target of God's blessing, you are a target of the enemy. The enemy is going to come. And that's what happens next. It says, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Amalek, the Amalekites. You're going to hear this name often as we go through the Old Testament. Over and over and over again. Folks, they are a pattern of the flesh. And they are always and constantly at war with the Spirit. The Amalekites. The Lord ultimately, as a result of this battle, is going to say the Amalekites need to be wiped out. The flesh needs to be eradicated in our life. It needs to be cut away, put outside. It needs to be removed. And so, what do we have here from the Amalekites? Well, listen, we want to understand what happened. Turn with me to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, it's going to sh shed a little bit of light in regard to what the Amalekites did. Twenty-five, 
25 verse 17 and 18. Remember that Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks. All the strugglers at your rear when you were tired and weary. And he did not fear God. When's the flesh going to attack? We're tired and weary. When we're wore out. And how's he going to attack us? Right up front? No, he don't do that. He sneaks around behind and nips at your heels. And that's what he did here. All the sick, all the weary, all those people that were having a hard time keeping up, that were in the back of the camp, that is who Amalek attacked. That is who he began to slaughter. And the key is that last phrase, he did not fear God. Just like Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? When God came to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. If you will not let my firstborn go, I'm going to take your firstborn. And Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should listen to him? Ten plagues later, he knew who the Lord was. Sometimes that's how we learn, isn't it? We, folks can be hard-headed. Well, Amalek was the same way. Who's the Lord? Right, let's, go, let's go attack these guys from behind. Let's go try to whittle them down. Let's go try to take care of this. So look what happens. Amalek lays into the, to the children of Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, remember that name. Joshua is a young general at this time. He is going to become the next leader of the children of Israel after Moses. He, he said to Joshua, choose some young men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Moses is going to the mountain of intercession. He's going to take the rod of God, that rod that the Lord had delivered the people with so many times. He's going to go up on top of this mount and he's going to pray. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. You ever try to raise your hand up when we're doing worship? And you get about oh, a verse, maybe a verse and a chorus down and your shoulders start to ache. Pretty soon, arms getting tired, and you just want to put your arm down. Now, I'm not suggesting that, that worship ought to be painful, but you have an idea of what it was like for Moses. Moses, is he praying for the, the children of Israel? He's got his arms raised. He's holding that rod up. And as he's praying and he's, he's calling out to the Lord, the children of Israel prevail. But his arms get tired, and he puts his arms down. And when the arms go down, Amalek begins to win. Remember, in the Hebrew mindset, everything's about pattern. We see a pattern with that. If Amalek is a pattern of the flesh, the children of Israel, the attitude of the spirit, the spirit and the flesh at war with one another, well, when we're in prayer, when we're communing with God, when we're spending time with the Lord... We are receiving the victory. But when we stop, when we close ourselves off, when we allow that time of prayer or intercession to die out, then 
Amalek wins. You know how Paul used to say in Romans chapter 7, the things I know I ought to do, I don't do, and the things I know I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. He's saying that within us, within each person, there is a battle that takes place between the flesh and the spirit. Paul would write about it in Galatians as well. That there's a battle, constant battle between the flesh and the spirit. And folks, it's real simple. You want to know who's going to win? It's who you feed the most. It's who you feed. If you spend all your time feeding the flesh, Amalek will be strong and he will prevail. If you spend your time feeding the spirit, the spirit will be strong and he will prevail. But you know, folks, it's too late to feed the spirit when it's already come. When the battle is right before you, when poof, it just happens. We want to react in the spirit, don't we? We want to respond spiritually. I need to be feeding the spirit day by day by day. What was that one year journey? It was the preparation of the children of Israel. Why didn't he take them the 11 days? The Lord said, if I take them that way, they're going to have a battle too soon. So I'm going to take them this way. I'm going to give them an opportunity for preparation. I'm going to give them an opportunity to get dialed in. And as they get dialed in and prepared, when the battle comes, they will be able to have the victory. This is all the pattern, the picture of what goes on in our life. We go through that same journey as the Lord prepares us for battle. We want to be ready. We want to feed the Spirit. We want to spend time in the Word of God through which we can see the pattern or picture of the manna. The bread, the bread that God gave us. Didn't Jesus say, I am the bread of life? Revelation 19, his name is the word of God. He is the word of God. The Lord said to us, you search the scriptures daily for in them you think you have life. But it is these that what? Speak of me. It's me. And Jesus said of that bread, you must eat of it. It's got to be a part of you. When we eat a meal, it becomes a part of us, right? If I'm hungry and I look at it, it doesn't do me any good. If I'm really hungry and I sink to it, it doesn't do me any good. If I'm really hungry and I just roll around in it, it doesn't do me any good. What do I got to do? It's got to become a part of me. It's more than intellectual assent. It's got to become a part of us. It's got to become a part. And then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life prepares us for that battle. So Moses, he's up there on that hill, right? And poor Moses, he's having a tough time. He's having a hard time staying focused. He's having a hard time keeping his arms up. So what happens? The scripture tells us. So it was when his hand went up, Israel prevailed. When his hand went down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands. Aaron and Hur supported his hands. They didn't stand to the side and holler at him. Come on, Moses, hold your hands up. What's wrong with you? What are you doing? There's something. Man, if only we were the ones in charge, I could hold my hands up. That's not what they did. They brought a rock for him to sit on. And 
Aaron and her took one on each side and helped him hold his hands up. The first battle the children of Israel ever fought. And it's won by prayer. The first battle they ever fought. Law of hermeneutics tells us that that is a standard that should be carried through across the word. If it was true the first time, it should always be true. Prayer is what gets us through, isn't it? Prayer is what carries us by. We, we should not go, folks, ever, ever should we go a day without prayer. I would say never should we go a day without multiple prayers. Paul would say what? Pray without ceasing. Every moment. Now, folks, our prayers don't have to be 20-minute oratory speeches, do they? This is a cry out to the Lord. Talking with him, keeping that, that open communication between us and the Lord, constantly calling out to him, constantly leaning on him for his direction and his guidance. That's going to give us victory. And then, folks, we got to learn. Moses, he needed help. And people came alongside. Well, maybe there are going to be times where God's going to call you to be the one in charge. And maybe there are times when God's going to call you to be one of the ones alongside. It doesn't make any difference because the victory can't be won without both groups. Moses couldn't do it by himself. Moses couldn't get the victory on his own. He didn't have the strength by himself. But when his brothers came alongside, they were able to gain the victory. When his brothers came alongside, they were able to overcome. Folks, we want to overcome. We want to be able to enjoy the victory. So we want to see this this warfare of the spirit and the flesh be done with in our lives. And we need to learn that we have to stand together. We need to stand together, side by side. If we got a brother, what does the Bible say? If you see a brother caught in a trespass or sin... You who are spiritual, what? Come alongside. Come alongside in an attitude of gentleness and meekness. Considering yourself. Because you also could be tempted. You also could fall. So as we come alongside, as we reach out at that time, we come up underneath brother's arms and we help them get through. There are lots of ways we can do that practically, folks. In our body, we got lots of families that are hurting, don't we? I mean, I don't have to go very far, lean very hard to come to the thought of, <clears throat> of what Beth and Jim are going through right now. Beth's living out in Nampa, but she don't live there. She has a house here. She's living in a trailer in Nampa to try to be there for Jim. While she's doing that, what happens at the house? What's going on with all the stuff? What happened to the garden? Who's feeding the animals? Who's taking care of this or that or the other? We have an opportunity when Beth's tired or the family's wore out, don't we? To come alongside and help hold up her arms. Because that victory is only going to be won through prayer. There's nothing anybody else can do. It's a prayer thing. And we have that 
opportunity across the board, folks. Really, across the board. We have every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, folks that are are teaching our kids, right? Sharing with the children the truth of God's word. They need folks to help lift up their hands. Come alongside in prayer and intercession. We have opportunities at the at the uh, Bread of Life kitchen to, to serve, but one person can't do all that forever, can they? No, we got to come alongside. We got to be a part. We got to be a part. Not saying that everybody's got to serve and sling, but every person can certainly put their arms underneath a brother or sister's arms and help them hold their arms up. We help support. About two, I guess two and a half years ago now, when uh, Cindy Hagerman died, Pastor Gerald's wife of the church where I was at, when she died, um, the whole board of elders came to Pastor Gerald. Now, nobody's coming to try to take over, do anything, because he, I don't think he missed one Sunday, Wednesday, nothing. He taught the day after she died, just like he taught all the times before. But we did come alongside when he couldn't stand to be strength for his legs. We did come alongside when he couldn't lift his arms so that we could be his strength to help him lift his arms. To help him do what it was that God was calling him to do. Because God wasn't calling me to go through that. I, I watched I saw from the outside, but it was, it was his battle. It was his valley of the shadow of death. It was his time to go through that. But I was called to take an arm and hold it up. Folks, when a body stands together like that, and I know you have experienced it yourself here because you've been through the same thing with Brent. Going through that same heartache and the same struggle and all of that stuff. But folks... The way that the body grows and overcomes and gains the victory is by learning to come alongside one another and hold our arms up. I'm weak, but together we're strong. One person, not much of a threat. But when we stand together, it's a formidable force. And Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Father, make The church, one, like you and I are one. Unify the body, that they'll learn to stand together. Well, that's what they're doing here. There were some people that were called to be in the battle, right? Those are the guys on the front line. They're fighting the battle. But there were some guys that were called to prayer. Both parts were important, right? But all parts worked together to bring the victory. They gained the victory. They've been through their seven stops. They're going to receive the law in, in, in Sinai next. That's the, the next thing upon the horizon for them. But prior to all those things, what do they experience? They experience this, guys, that God is everything they need. He was everything they needed when they needed bread. He became the bread of life. When they needed water, he became living water. When they needed victory, he became the victory. That's what he declares. Look at the word. So, 
When Moses' hands became heavy, they put a stone, they lifted his hands, Aaron and Hur supported him, one on one side, the other on the other, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. For I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God's not very happy with the Amalekites. I will utterly blot out the name of Amalek. Write it in the book. Well, he did. We just read it, right? Write it in the book. Recount it in the hearing of Joshua. Make sure the people know, I'm going to wipe out the Amalekites. You know that the call for that came. Do you know that? Saul was king. Saul was king and the Lord said, Saul, you're going to go out and do battle with the Amalekites. And I want you to kill every single one. All of them. Every bleeding sheep. Every goat. Every livestock. All that they have. They must be utterly destroyed. Folks, if you make any provision for the flesh, any provision for the flesh... The flesh will kill. Any provision. So what did Saul do? We remember the story, don't we? Saul went out. He had battle. He had the victory over the Amalekites. But when Samuel was up on the hill looking down, he seen Saul. What did he hear? The bleeding of sheep. Saul said, oh, I've been, I've been faithful to all that God gave me to do. And Samuel said, really, you've been faithful. What is the sound of the sheep? Well, I saved some sheep. And, and, and I saved some prisoners. And in fact, I, I saved the king, King Agag. King Agag hadn't, hadn't been killed. And it was on that day that the Lord took away Saul's kingdom. You're not fit to be king anymore, Saul. You won't deal with the flesh. You won't utterly wipe it out. And then Samuel went in and, and hacked up King Agag. There's just one problem. Somewhere in that time frame, King Agag fathered a son, an Agagite. Why is that important? Because on the day that Saul dies, he's going to be killed by an Amalekite that he let live. After that, what's going to happen? Well, you read the story of Esther. You remember the story of Esther? In the story of Esther, you come across this guy, Haman. Haman was this mean fellow that was, that was ruling there in the Medo-Persian Empire. And as he's ruling in that Medo-Persian Empire, he's, he's enjoying all the, the victory and the fruits of his labor. He walks by this Jewish guy and he won't bow to him. So he goes to the king. And he says to the king... King, I want you to sign a law that we should kill every man, woman, and child of the Jew. All of Israel. Did you know the king signed the law? He signed it. When Esther went to the king to plead for her people, the king couldn't change the law. All he said was the children of Israel could defend themselves. Do you see how close Satan was? to using the flesh to destroy the spirit? That was close. 
He was an Amalekite. Haman was an Amalekite. Folks, when God paints a picture or a pattern in the Bible, it goes all the way through. Over and over again, when you see someone trying to destroy, wipe out the children of Israel, you will discover Amalekite, Amalekite, Amalekite. Oh, by the way, you know where Amalek came from? Amalek, his father, you know who his father is. Well, his uncle's name was Jacob. His father's name was Esau. Esau, who hated his birthright, who hated the spiritual things and lived only for the physical. See, the picture stays. Amalek is a picture of the flesh. And the flesh will destroy us if given a chance. Don't make any provision for the flesh at all. No provision at all. What do we want to be? We want to be found in Christ Jesus. 169 times Paul would write to be found in Christ Jesus. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the rock, isn't he? If I'm in the rock, I'm good to go. Right? Moses, as he's going through, coming toward uh, some of the, the greater victories that he'll experience, he asked the Lord, he says, God, I just want to see your glory. And the Lord said, no man can see God and live. You can't handle my glory. I'll tell you what, Moses, I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock. And I'm going to hold my hand over you. And I'll pass by and let you see my afterglow. Remember the picture? Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. Where did the cleft come from? When the rock was smitten. When it was hit. The water poured out of the cleft that was made. We sing an old hymn, don't we? Rock of ages, what? Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And so Moses would be in that rock. And what did God do? He put his hand over it. What did Jesus say? I hold you in my hands. No one can snatch you out of my hands. And my Father, who is mightier than all, he holds you in his hands. And no one can snatch you out of his hands. In the cleft of the rock, covered by Jesus Christ, with the Father's hand over the top, and the afterglow of God... Shown from Moses for 40 days. What was that a picture of? The afterglow of God is the Shekinah. The Shekinah glory, the spirit. Everyone who came around Moses, what happened? The light that was shining off of Moses got on them. The, the flow of the Holy Spirit out of our lives should be getting on the people around us. So that we too can affect those who are around us. How do we affect them? We affect them just simply by walking with the Lord. Walking in the light. Being apart. Being in that rock. Being covered with the Lord. Having his hand upon us. And that's it. He does everything else. That's all we have to do. We abide in him, right? And he abides in us. And he, that light will shine through. And you and I, we can experience the victory. We experience the victory just like them. 
Because if there's a pattern in the Bible, it's true all the way through. And the children of Israel received the victory over Amalek through prayer. You and I will receive the victory the same way. And as we close, we look at this last verse. As they read this in the hearing, as they read it in the hearing of, uh, of all the children of Israel and of Joshua, Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because of the Lord, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Lord is my banner. Quite literally, it is, The Lord is my victory Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my victory. That banner, my covering, the one who carries me through and gives me the victory. Yahweh Nisi. saying, listen, God was everything we needed. When we needed bread, he was bread from heaven. When we needed water, he was living water. When we need the victory, Yahweh Nisi. When we need healing, Yahweh Rofi. When we need guiding, Yahweh Rohai. All throughout the Old Testament, the Lord paints a picture for us. He is everything we need. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time that we can come before you. God, we thank you that we can gather together in this place. And we ask, Lord, that... God, as we just seek that touch of your spirit in our lives, that, Father, as we read these stories, they're not wasting on us, but, Lord, we see, God, how you moved in their lives. Help us to recognize the patterns that you lay out before us in the Old Testament. Help us to see, as Paul clearly declared to us in 1 Corinthians 10, that these things are given to us as an example, as a picture as an opportunity to look and to grow and to, and to understand how God moves. For you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God of grace and mercy today was there then, extending grace and mercy. The same God of justice was there then, is here now, desiring for things to be made right. God, help us just to grow, to pull from these things, Lord, to desire each of these stops, to know, God, that, that, that this place is not our home, to understand that you are with us no matter where we go. And when we face that journey, that battle between a rock and a hard place, you're our deliverer, and it's not always about us. Sometimes it's about someone else. Lord, may we remember as we go along the way that there's refreshment in service. May we know, God, that you want to deal with bitterness through the cross of Jesus Christ. May we understand when we hunger and thirst that it is Jesus Christ who provides both the bread of heaven and that living water. That you sustain us. May we never forget that you are everything we need. And Father, we just seek to glorify you in this time, we give to you, Father, we pray. Help us as we go through this day, as we go through this week. Let us be tools in the Master's hand. Let us be pitchers of living water, getting people wet with the Holy Spirit just by walking by. Father, we ask that you would move upon your people in a mighty way. We seek to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.